privilege to have been asked to come and speak to you this morning. So thank you to James and thank you to all of you for putting up with me for this morning. Hopefully we can all learn something together. And as you know, I'm sure at the 11.15 service, you've been working your way through the Apostles' Creed. And this week we've reached the line, on the third day he rose again. And we'll be considering this through the words of 1 Corinthians 15. So it'd be very useful to me if you could have that passage open in front of you, please. It's on page 1156 of the Church Bibles, 1156. As we begin, though, let's ask for God's help as we study this passage of Scripture together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words that we find in the Bible. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his writing, for his understanding, for the way he was so concerned with faithfully teaching about you. We pray that you would speak to us through your words this morning. Help us to understand the resurrection of Jesus better. Amen. Amen. Well, it's Sunday morning. The sun has yet to rise. Two women are walking in the garden. And they are shocked and terrified when an earthquake shakes the ground. They approach the tomb of their friend, the man whom they had called Lord. As they get nearer, they see a man. He seems to be shining in the early morning darkness. The women are terrified but can't help approaching. They watch as the man, whom they are convinced by now, must be an angel. They watch as he rolls back the stone, sealing the tomb of their Lord, and having rolled it away, sits upon it. The angel speaks to them. Do not be afraid, he says. I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The women are stunned. Can this be true? Can their Lord, their friend, really have risen from the dead? Overcome by emotion, they run to tell Jesus' disciples what they have seen. As they run, they meet Jesus himself, who tells them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the account of Jesus' resurrection in Matthew's Gospel. But can it be true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? This is what we've been considering this morning. Was Jesus raised from the dead? Does it matter if Jesus was raised from the dead? And what are the consequences of Jesus being raised from the dead? Firstly then, was Jesus raised from the dead? Paul begins chapter 15 of his first letter to the Corinthians by reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he preached to them. He tells them that they received the gospel and that they have stood firm, holding on to all that he has taught them. It is by this gospel that they are saved, he reminds them, if they hold firmly to the word that he has preached to them. This gospel, this news that he has taught them, is of fundamental importance since it has the power to save people. People need to be saved. And the news that Paul passed on to the Corinthians 
means that they can be saved. What does this gospel save people from? We can see this in verse 3. Christ died for our sins. Since the time of Adam, all people have sinned. All have fallen short of God's expectations. Humanity has turned its back on God. We have opted to go our way, not God's way. To live our lives as we want, not as God would like. We have put ourselves first and we have neglected God. As a consequence of this, we can be, expect to be judged by God and found wanting. We find ourselves in a desperately hopeless position. But this gospel that Paul has been sharing means that we can be saved. We can be saved because Christ died for our sins. He died, he was buried, but then on the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures. Where's the evidence, though? How can the Corinthians be expected to hold firmly to this teaching, to take a stand, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead without evidence? Well, Paul understands this and provides them with three key reasons why they can trust that the resurrection happened. Firstly, Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that is, in fulfilment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of references to resurrection. Let's just pick up a few of them now. In Isaiah 53, we read about how the suffering servant will suffer, die, and then see the light of life. In Psalm 16, David prophesies that God would not abandon his faithful one to the realm of the dead or let his body see decay. Psalm 22, verses 22 to 31, speaks of life after death. The resurrection is foreshadowed in Jonah 1, verse 17, where we read that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus himself referenced Jonah when he said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's Matthew twelve forty. So the Old Testament scriptures provide evidence through prophecy that Jesus was raised from the dead. As Paul stated, Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Secondly, the Corinthians can trust that the resurrection happened because there were plenty of witnesses to this fact. We read in verses 5 to 8 that Jesus appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve apostles. After that, Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them, Paul says, are still living. Then he appeared to James and to all of the apostles. Paul is keen to point out that this is not a story that he has concocted. This is verifiable truth. There were dozens, hundreds even, of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus who could testify that yes, Jesus died, yes, Jesus was buried, and yes, Jesus rose from the dead. If anyone in Corinth was unsure about the truth of the resurrection, who questioned whether Jesus really rose from the dead, all they needed to do was to find one of these people, jump in a boat and head for Galilee, shouldn't be too hard to find someone who had witnessed Jesus alive and well after seeing him dead on the cross. Jesus' resurrection, then, is not a myth. The gospel is not a story. It is rooted in verifiable truth. 
Thirdly, the Corinthians could trust that Jesus was raised from the dead because Jesus appeared to Paul personally. Paul is a direct eyewitness. If the Corinthians don't want to accept it from anyone else, then they should accept it from Paul, who was well known to them, who was the one who had told them the gospel in the first place. Three reasons, then, why we can trust that Jesus was raised from the dead. Three reasons that the Corinthians could trust that Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul then wants to leave his readers in absolutely no doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead. But why? Does it matter if Jesus was raised from the dead? After all, there are plenty of people who profess to be Christian, yet dispute the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Scarcely a year goes by when a senior figure in the church doesn't hit the headlines for allegedly denying that the bodily resurrection of Christ took place. Well, this was obviously the case within the Corinthian church as well, which is why Paul asks in verse 12, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection for the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Paul then outlines several consequences of Jesus not being raised from the dead in verses 12 to 19. Firstly, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, Paul and the apostles have misrepresented God. They are false teachers since they have been testifying that God raised Christ, which, if there is no resurrection, is not true. This means that Paul and all of the apostles have invented false stories and misled God's people. As such, they could expect to experience the full wrath of God. Secondly, if there is no resurrection, then the faith of the Corinthians has been in vain. Indeed, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Our faith is futile. And most significantly, we are still in our sin. If Christ is not raised from the dead, Christ has not defeated death. He has not redeemed our sin. We will still face the wrath of God when we die. Thirdly, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. All those faithful Christians who have followed Jesus over the centuries have perished. All our Christian friends and family who have died have perished. That's it. They're dead, and that's that. Fourthly, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we are, of all people, most to be pitied. If we place our hope in Jesus in this life only, then we are fools, because there is no hope. We too are doomed to an eternal death, with no hope of eternal life. We might as well, as Paul puts it later in verse 32, join in with everyone who says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die we would be better living as if we only live once. Well, of course it is important then that Christ raised from the dead. If he has not been raised from the dead, then we are all fools, fools with no hope for the future. What a bleak prospect that is. But Paul doesn't entertain that prospect for long. He doesn't entertain that bleak prospect of no resurrection for much longer. 
He hits us in verse 20 with a bold statement. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised. Paul is unequivocal in this. There is no doubt in his mind at all because of all the evidence that he has already presented us with. Christ has been raised from the dead. And it matters that Christ has been raised from the dead. So what are the consequences of Jesus being raised from the dead? Well, the consequences are truly profound. The first consequence we can glean from Paul here is that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I spend quite a lot of my summer in the very glamorous North Essex countryside. Next to us, there's an old Second World War mine depot where explosives were built, tested and stored during the war. What went on at the mine depot is still so secret that to this day, no one really knows what happens there. What we do know, though, is that blackberries grow there very well now. My family love blackberrying. Claire, my wife, takes great delight in finding and devouring the first blackberry of summer. As she eats it, she knows that this is a significant moment because in due course, there will be hundreds, thousands, millions of other blackberries all over the abandoned mine depot. It would be rather odd if that first blackberry was the one and only blackberry. If it was the only blackberry not just in North Essex, but across the whole country. We would rejoice that that one blackberry has grown so near to us that we'd been able to witness it with our own eyes. But it would feel a little hollow if we weren't anticipating the growth of many more for our summer puddings, for our crumbles and for our jam. So when, in verse 20, Paul describes Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, it is clear that he expects Jesus to be the first of many, many millions of people to be raised. Those who know and love Jesus will be raised. Just as we can be sure that Jesus was raised, we can be sure that we too will be raised. Here we see Paul recounting God's plan for the world. We see in the verses from verse 21 onwards the significance of Jesus' resurrection. And Paul, as Paul draws up a direct contrast between Adam and Jesus. Death came through a man. Adam disobeyed God. He ignored his commandment. Adam sinned. The wages of sin are death. Because of Adam's sin, death entered creation. As a result of Adam, we all die. Death makes its presence felt around us. We are all edging towards death. It isn't an, an inevitability. Death doesn't have to be the end, though, because just as death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. All those who are in Christ will be made alive. All those who belong to Jesus will be made alive, just as a harvest follows the first fruits of summer. So, too, a rich harvest will follow the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus isn't the only one who will be raised to life. And that is amazing news. That is the greatest news ever. 
Paul suggests that there is a prescribed order to this resurrection. As he has already established, Jesus is the first to be raised from the dead. When Jesus returns, all those who belong to Christ will be raised, those who knew Jesus, those who loved Jesus, and who sought to follow him in their lives. They will be raised. Finally, at the end, Jesus will destroy every rule and every authority and every power and deliver the kingdom to God the Father. Jesus will reign and all his enemies will be put under his feet. At that point, the last enemy will finally be destroyed, death itself. Death was never a part of God's plan. It was introduced as a consequence of human sin. Jesus defeated death when he died on the cross and rose again. And when he returns, he will defeat it once and for all, enabling all those who love him to be raised to life. So, can we say with confidence that on the third day, Jesus rose again? Paul firmly believes that we can. He shows us that we can be confident that Christ rose. Scripture proclaims this. The prophets proclaimed this. The apostles proclaimed this. The hundreds of witnesses proclaimed this. The consequences of Christ's resurrection are truly profound. As Paul reminded us, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are at the heart of the Christian gospel. Indeed, he went further than that. The death and resurrection of Jesus are the gospel. It is the gospel by which we are saved. And that, he says, is of first importance. Whilst many would say that the cross is the most fundamental element of the Christian gospel, the truth is that without the resurrection, the gospel is lacking. By rising from the dead, Jesus was able to demonstrate that he has defeated death. By rising from the dead and appearing to the apostles and to the 500, we have evidence that Jesus defeated death. By rising from the dead and ascending to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is able to return to earth to destroy all dominion, authority and power and to hand over the kingdom to his Father. By rising from the dead and placing all his enemies under his feet, Jesus is able to destroy the last enemy, death, to ensure that all those who follow him, who place their trust in him, will also be raised from the dead. The full harvest that follows the first fruits of resurrection. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are fools to be pitied beyond all others. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that is the greatest news the world has ever known. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to dwell amongst us. We thank you that he willingly went to the cross to take the punishment for our sin. Thank you that death could not hold him and that he rose again. Thank you that Jesus is the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. Thank you that we too will be raised when Jesus returns to earth. Help us to have confidence in the resurrection. Help us to live our lives in an eternal perspective.
Help us always to strive to serve you, to praise you, and to glorify you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.